my day. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Beat. I'm, of course, Nick Baumgartner, along with Brendan Quinn in separate quarantines. Brendan, how are we doing? We're joined like, also by a I third like that you quarantine go with the, member. I like that you go with the, uh, of course, I'm Nick Baumgartner. Well, I'm not someone else. I don't know who else I would be. But, uh, I am I am obviously Nick Baumgartner, <laughs> along with Brendan. We are joined today uh, for the first portion of the show by Colton Pouncey, Michigan State beat writer, with us here at the Athletic Detroit. Colton, how are we doing? Pretty good. I uh, spent most of my time the last couple of weeks uh, getting in arguments with Pistons fans about the last dance. <laughs> so uh, that's been fun. Colton, Colton, do you see the shirt that I've got on? Today? Oh my! Oh, oh, I like uh, it. That's amazing. Uh, I like it's it. It's little, little torn up, but it still works. Yeah. How long have you had that's that? That's an '89 thing? Bad Boys shirt. For those at home, this is not a video podcast. How long have you had that one? Uh, this is my dad's. He's he got it. I think the year that '88, '89. So it's, okay. this is uh, that legit. old. Yeah. It's legit. So much older than Colton. So anyway. <laughs> event uh we, th- we brought colton on today because colton um wrote some good stuff what was it last week on uh on mel tucker um and sort of their recruiting efforts and sort of his i guess i'll let you explain it colton i mean it's been a different you know sort of vibe i suppose if you compare you know what mark d'antonio was like with folks um whether it be recruits or fans you know via well, social media sorry and, ahead, Col- and, and colton you you've now had a one at least one one on one conversation, yes, with, with Tucker, right? So yeah, let's we want to kind of pick your head on those first impressions. We love drawing massive conclusions out of single conversations, so that's what we're going to go for here today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so I, I think obviously now that you know there's no football being played, sports are kind of shut down. Um, Mel Tucker's kind of coming into this program at a bad time. You know, obviously the retirement of Mark D'Antonio in February is not ideal for any coach. And then you throw in a pandemic in the middle of that and you're going to be playing catch up. So I think with Mel Tucker, one of the things that was important to him was to, first of all, engage with his fan base. Um, You know, he's been pretty active on on Twitter and social media and trying to find different ways to connect and reach out to people and let them know that, you know, he's invested in this program first and foremost. I think that's kind of been one of his main priorities. Now there is no football, but um, I think you also look at that from a recruiting aspect and, you know, he's brought in eight commits now in this class without really talking to most of these people in person, most of these kids, he's offered them after he came to Michigan state and things like that. And, uh, when you don't have the chance to get those kids on campus, you have to be creative and, and try to try to secure them in different ways. And so far he's done that using social media, you know, he's got these new graphics and different things like that, that he's working on. Um, he's always trying to think ahead for different things and not trying to be the same as another program out there. So, um, early on, that's kind of been his focus at Michigan State, and I think we'll see more of that going forward. It's been interesting because, you know, D'Antonio was so buttoned up and quiet and didn't engage via social media at all. Um, <laughs> no. You know, I mean, I mean, he did. He would tweet, like, happy birthday to somebody once in a while. But really, you know, Mel Tucker's, like, in people's mentions. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's, like, having conversations with people. He's, like, uh, you know, I think he's had a couple Q&As. They've done some videos that were pretty neat. Like, he wrote about those two. Mm-hmm. Just the over- I mean, Colton, you, you have direct interaction with a lot of these fans, you know, more than Brennan and I do probably every day in terms mm-hmm. of the football fans. Um, you know, what is their, you know, I, what's their uh, sort of vibe here i mean i i assume people are probably cautiously optimistic on just the personality here i mean i yep. he's attracted to, you know other kids are attracted to the program it seems like right away like you said what's that sort of been like yeah you know when i did that michigan state fan survey one of the questions i asked was yep. was mark d'antonio's retirement the right move for the program just because i want to see 
where their heads were at, you know, entering this new era of Michigan State football. And 95% of people said, yes, it was time yeah, for him to go. Yeah. And I think to me that spoke volumes. And Nick, I actually reached out to you and, and showed you that before it went live. Yeah. I was like, this this really says a lot here. Um, and I think the reason why people said that, not because, you know, they didn't appreciate what D'Antonio did for them, but I think they understand that the way football is moving in, in 2020, you have to make yourself present on social media. You have to engage with people. You have to do the recruiting graphics and the bat signals and things like that. Cause that's, that lets them know that they're wanted, that they're appreciated. And, you know, Mark D'Antonio, I would have, you know, tweet notifications on for him. And I think I would get one like once every couple months. <laughs> um, if that. And you'd be uh, like, Oh, holy shit. What is this? <laughs> yeah, I was like, Oh, Oh, look who tweeted today. Um, and then also, I mean, when you look at that that TikTok of, of the Full House intro that Tuck oh, and his yeah, new staff absolutely. did, like, can you imagine Jim Bowman doing that? Like, honestly, right. I can't at all. So uh, I think when you look at some of the things he's doing to just engage with the fans and obviously because there's no football, there's no spring game, they can't come out to see the team so far. Um, he's trying to show a little bit of that. And the way he's doing that is through social media. And that's something that's really important to him. You know, he's learned the value of that from other stops that he's been at along the way. And it's something that he wants to bring to Michigan State. I like the uh, Takeout Tuesdays. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag. Yeah. I, I think he's a podcast listener. He knows to support his local restaurants. Yeah, absolutely. He's done a couple of those too. He's done Takeout yeah. Tuesday. There's Sneaker Saturday. He's posted a couple of Air Force Sneaker ones. Saturday is pretty cool. That's a good yeah, one. That's been a cool one. Um, Throwback Thursday where he posts like some pictures of his days at Wisconsin, different things like that. But yeah, he's got a new one every day. All right. So Spin. Go ahead, Brandon. I was gonna say, let, me, let me ask this, especially with the social media stuff. So like you've had conversations with him. You've seen him operate in press conference setting, in a off-the-record sit-down setting, and now you see this kind of personality developing on social media. I feel like the majority of coaches that I have interacted with over the years, their social media is either not actually controlled by them, or it is a total shtick. Mm-hmm. Or it's just disingenuous and it's just bullshit and whatever. You know, it's just I have to do social media, so this is what the social media is going to be. Right. Um, when it comes to Tucker, what's your kind of read on where he falls in that uh, spectrum of, of things? Um, I think he's kind of in the middle because he understands that, yes, you need to do this and, yes, this is important. But he also enjoys doing it. And, you know, he's not trying to hide the fact that he has a team around him and, and people that you know, he can go to with his ideas. You know, he made a Spotify playlist with some of his like favorite songs. And that was something that he came and, and, and talked to his team and said, hey, how can we get this out there? And I think that's more so like he comes up with ideas and he has a team that helps execute that. And uh, the things that he's passionate about and you know, he, he is a sneakerhead. So Sneaker Saturday was one of the things that he came up with. And, you know, he likes to eat food. He's a big guy. So <laughs> take out Tuesday was something that he enjoys doing, too. So. Um, he de- he's not shy about the fact that he has people around him and he thinks that having an inner circle is important um, for any coach. But um, at the same time, he kind of balances that and understands that I, ha- I have to have a present voice on this as well. And I think that's what we've seen so far. Yeah, this is month. We're about to be in month, what, like three uh, or so, about three months completed for him. Um, and this is that time when, you know, it's an awkward timing, of course, with what we're going on now, but it was also awkward when he got hired. Um, this is that time where he's got to let recruits know who he is that he's got they've got to understand his personality they've got to know you know that he can have fun a little bit you know it reminds me a lot of what Jim Harbaugh did the first year that 
he got the Michigan job. And uh, we, we heard from Michigan State fans, Brennan, every day for eight to ten months. Like, why is this guy on Twitter all the time? You guys write about it all the time. And it was like, well, I mean, they're on Twitter because, like, that's how they re- that's how they connect with people. And, and sometimes some stuff works, sometimes it doesn't. But if you look back at that stage, he was super active because, you know, he was trying to get people to, you know, in, in those college recruiting circles to remember him or know him or whatever. And it seems like that's exactly what Mel Tucker's doing here. I think it's pretty cool. I mean, I think it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a good strategy um, because my impression of Mel Tucker Colton is that, you know, his kind of take on recruiting is I'm going to try it all. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take a shot. I'm not going to just not dive into those waters, especially early for a kid that maybe I don't think we can realistically ever get. Maybe we never will, but I'm going to take some time, you know, on that kid. I'm not going to ignore him. And I think that that seems to be, you know, that seems to be coming across pretty clear. Yeah. And that's, I mean, he's tried to make that a staff wide effort. You know, we talked yeah. to Ron Burton and Mike Trussell last week, and these are guys who were around for the D'Antonio era, obviously, but even they were like, Hey, we're excited to learn some new recruiting practices and, yep. you know, recruit the entire country and not just one specific area. And we're, we're going national. You know, Mel Tucker wants kids from Louisiana, from Texas, California. And I think that's one of the things we're seeing. And they talked about that recruit everyday mentality and they're texting kids every day. And the recruits say that they're Michigan State is talking to them more than any other school, the kids that they really want. And I, I think that's something that might have been lacking a little bit with D'Antonio down the stretch. You know, he mentioned that. The recruiting calendars changed over the years from when he first started to, you know, how it ended. And he said some of the key dates come over the summer and and June, July during the times where he wanted to spend time with his family and just kind of get away from football. But he understood those were key dates and he had to be present for that as well. So I think down the stretch for him, you know, the recruiting kind of wore him down a little bit and, and getting into all of that. And he just he said it came to a point where, you know, I had to kind of reevaluate my priorities. And with Mel Tucker right now, you know, he comes from the saving tree. He's all about recruiting. That's one thing that he said during a, a Q&A on Twitter with fans is that yeah. the biggest thing he learned from saving was to recruit every day. And at Michigan State, he wants to make that known. And even though he can't bring these kids to campus, he's making that known on, on Twitter and social media and, and by texting them every day. Yeah, he's a he's been a football coach for a long time and been a pretty respected one. But in the college game, you know, I think Mel – Tucker maybe started to make his name as a recruiter, as a guy who just outworked people. Mm-hmm. And you can see that sort of conti- – I mean, like like you said with D'Antonio, it almost felt like the the way that recruiting changes so much and it just keeps going and going and going, it almost seemed like that wore him out and he fell behind and he, yep. couldn't, catch, he couldn't keep up. Mm-hmm. Whereas Mel Tucker has been keeping up and, you know, been, been you know, on the front of that sort of wave – for a lot more, you know, a lot longer of a period of time. So that's been, uh, that's been pretty obvious. Brendan, you got a question there? Yeah. I mean, he, al- he also clearly understands that it's social media is what you make of it oh, in yeah. a lot of mm-hmm. ways, especially when you're in a position of power. Um, yeah. And you can tell that, you know, his big thing is um, selling the identity of the program, whether it's the verbiage that's being used, whether it's the, um, the imagery that's being used and all this stuff, right? It's all this toughness and relentlessness and blah, 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 blah. And it's very much kind of going into that, I feel like, um, old ideal of Michigan State, like what Michigan State football is, but in a more kind of modern presentation of it. I will say, though, I do get a little uneasy anytime I see things like sledgehammers and things like that (laughs) brought brought into play yeah i'm like what are we doing here man it's a football <laughs> team you've got a guy sharpening iron i get all of that stuff but yeah. like sometimes i i know it's for 18 year olds not 
37-year-old asshole, but <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I do roll my eyes a little bit. Yeah, Always absolutely. important to remember. Yeah. yeah, you know, he had that whole, a couple weeks ago before MSU got its first commit, he did um, tweet out this whole, you know, elaborate production of what he wanted the 21, 2021 class to be. You know, it was him sitting in a chair with like some like some stage lights on him talking about relentless being tough and and what all the characteristics that he wants from that class and you know the last image was a football player wearing a 21 jersey kind of dragging that sledgehammer across like a brick wall so that became <laughs> he liked that so much that that became the recruiting gift so whenever a kid commits you're going to see that gift tweeted out by the entire staff so they're t- they're taking it seriously and like that's something that the old staff would have never done. No. It's not it's not a new concept by any stretch, but mm-hmm. it's just something that they weren't involved with. It didn't it wasn't something that they seemed they deemed necessary at the time. So I think you're seeing that more and more with Tucker, and that's kind of where this program's gonna go with him. You gotta stay on brand, Brendan, and be consistent. And also, you as a as a child of the nineties, remember the High school football photos, the team photos of the team in the junkyard with like you know like the oh. sledgehammers on oh, their shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> like, everyone has everyone has seniors. Ch- everyone has <laughs> chains for some reason. Like chains is always a big thing. It's just like real men carry chains. I'm like I've never seen anyone just carrying chains. <laughs> seniors class of 02 getting ready to rock the conference here in the junkyard. With Dude, the best in the 90s was the old like remember the old media guide covers that would always yeah. be like themed. In some oh, yeah. way, like it would be like the whole basketball yes. team, like at a firehouse for, yes. for some reason. I, I love seeing the, I love seeing all the calendars <laughs> and stuff at, at Crunchies whenever I go in there. It's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the cat, yeah, all the old calendar shots. Yeah, yeah. Real but it's been interesting, and, and I think you mentioned also Colton the wider net, um, which is something I know you and I talked about right when he got hired, right when it was like even before it was finalized that you know whenever this thing finally gets done, and if it is in fact you know Mel Tucker. You know, or Luke Fickle. It was like the the net is going to widen, and it's going to be like you mentioned, Louisiana, Texas, some of these other areas, areas that he has ties in, areas that as he's familiar with, but areas that he also knows. Like you know, there are guys down there, you know, that you can find. I mean, there are guys that if you can get in, sometimes it, it you it, there's no one way to do it, right? Like I just you know, we just got through the draft, and you know, a great example, um, Josh Metellus, kid Michigan signed in 2016. Uh, was a two-star whatever kid that was a teammate of Devin Bush's. And he only got an offer from Michigan because he was a teammate of Devin Bush's, and he committed the second they gave it to him. And we were all like, well, we'll see if you – but he holds on to it, right? And, he, you know, he's a three-year starter there. He gets drafted. I mean, and it's – so you – but he, and he's from South Florida. So he's the type of kid that if, if he were living in another area of the country where there's not as many players, he probably would have been a higher-rated kid. So by extending yourself and having more relationships like that. And we talked to some of those staffers, Colton, through the last couple of weeks that they've set up for us uh, in conference calls. And they've all talked about recruiting, every single one of them. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a daily situation. And, you know, for them, that's all they can do right now anyway. And it's all they really should be doing anyway right now. Obviously, they would have liked to have practice. But recruiting really needed to ramp there. And it and it is. And, I, you know, that seems like a good sign. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Michigan State just secured its quarterback for the 21 class. His name is uh, mm-hmm. Hampton Fay. And he's a Texas kid, a, a big kid. He's 6'5", got a big arm, and he's like 215 right now. And I actually talked to his high school coach last night, and I asked him his impressions of Mel Tucker, and he said that he knew Mel Tucker going back to 2015 when he was back at Alabama because that was one of the mm-hmm. schools that he was given to recruit. And so it's those relationships that he can have at those previous stops, you know, either Ohio State or Alabama when he was back at LSU or Georgia. Those, those relationships that he has with high school coaches, they don't just go away. And he's mm-hmm. going to bring that wherever he goes. And – 
um, with, with with Hampton Fay, you know, he gets into a school like that. That that school has forty five to fifty active Division one players right now. That's what his coach told me. So mm-hmm. if you can get in a school like that, I think one of their kids, uh, Tommy Brockenmeyer, he's the number four overall recruit in the twenty twenty one class. So if you can get in there and, and build those relationships and establish something going forward, you know, that's that that might be a pipeline for your program. Yeah. So I think it's things like that, those relationships that Mel Tucker is bringing to Michigan State that um, we might see pay off in the long run. Amid this uh, quarterback's uh, skill set, where does uh, the ability to reclassify fall? <laughs> uh, you know, he, 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 he j- jump up, maybe find his way there right. in uh, August. Uh, right. He is going to be an early enrollee, but is just going to miss that, that 2020 season, which <laughs> they could use him right now based on their quarterbacks. But I think he'll be a good one. Um, he's Col- a big guy, and he's a Texas quarterback. They're yeah. advanced over there. Um, so I think it'll be good in any, I mean, obviously it's, it's something that, um, it's been interesting to see. And it's something that I think that we probably expected, right. In terms of a guy who, who knows this sort of landscape understood, uh, that they had to be more visible and more vocal and more aggressive. I think that's probably the, the final piece of it, right. Is, is they just seem whereas And I don't think there was anything wrong with how D'Antonio recruited. I mean, when, when they were getting kids, you know, they were, you know, identifying talent in areas that was kind of looked over and that works out as well. But you also have to be able to have a net that's wide enough um, to where you're not missing out, I think. And that's probably the, that's probably the the lasting part for Tucker is that you just stretch it out and you see what happens and you see who comes back. And I think that that's the best you can do right now because you said it right at the top. I mean, they're in a pretty awkward timing and everything else and you've got to make the best of it. Yeah. uh, Bruce Feldman actually had a really good story with, he talked to Mel Tucker back in 2019, ahead of the early signing period in December. And, uh, you know, Mel was pretty candid about his recruiting practices and, and how he approaches that. And one of the things he said was, you know, you need to offer 200 kids to be able to bring in 25 kids. And he said, what I'm trying to do is offer 300 kids, just because if you have a miss, you're not falling back on like, you know, your 15th option or something like that. You know, you have you have some room and you're evaluating enough guys all at once so that if someone goes somewhere else, you have the next guy right up and you're not just scrambling at the last minute. So it's things like that. You know, he's bringing uh, a certain size and speed requirement to, to play at Michigan State. You know, you look at the guys that they have right now. I think five of the eight guys or six of the eight guys are at least six four, ranging from six seven to six four, And a cornerback and a running back are both over six feet. So he, he, he has a size requirement to play at Michigan State. The guys he's trying to bring in. That's something he talked about um, back going at, at back when he was at Georgia. Yeah. Um, the offensive line there was pretty small when he first got there with Kirby Smart, and one of the things that they did was try to, you know, beef up that offensive line that happened within three years. So I think what him and Chris Kapelovic are trying to do on that offensive line is do the same thing, and also he likes those bigger DBs, and really he values that size because when you go up against an Alabama or or Georgia or Ohio State, and you look at those dudes, they're massive, and mm-hmm. to be able to to compete with those guys, if you don't have the total package, you know, the Chase Youngs that are fast and big. You got to have one or the other, and and I think he values that size aspect of it. Very good, Brendan. You got anything else for Colton today before we let him go? Yeah, I wanted to get a little bit into talk some bulls into the fan survey stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Um, I mean, you mentioned that that the ninety five percent on believing D'Antonio's retirement was at the right time. I that that's a extraordinary number for the winningest coach <laughs> in program history. Just a little bit, yeah. Um, I, 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 I mean, did that legitimately surprise you guys? 
Yeah, I mean, I I was expecting it to be high, but I didn't think it was going to be ninety five point four percent. Like that's no, I, I thought exactly. Rate. I thought it was going to be exactly ninety five percent. Yeah, I mean, like he was done, man. I mean, it was. It's not. I don't look at that as something where people are saying, you know, because it's a chart, right? Where people are saying, like, I'm not, I'm not grateful for what he did. Like, I think if you look back, and we didn't have Twitter then, and I wasn't living here at the time, but like when Lloyd Carr was approaching the end at Michigan. And it it, be, it had become clear, right? Where it's like, okay, it's probably time, you know, the game's moving and changing and you're getting, you know, a little longer in the tooth. It's probably time. And I think for D'Antonio, that's just what it was. It was time. I don't think anybody necessarily was not, you know, maybe somewhere. But I think for the most part, Colton, I think we talked about it all year. It was just like it was pretty obvious that it's, it just felt time that they needed new life in there for a number of reasons on the field and off the field. Um, something needed to be new. And I mean, that, you know, I think, I think that kind of was pretty telling. I really thought back in November that he was done. And especially after after that Michigan game, you know, 44 to 10, he just looked exhausted. He looked beat. He looked defeated. And honestly, back then, it probably would have been a good time to announce this. And maybe he announces that in early December. And then he has the entire month, one last month with his players. You know, you go out with the pinstripe bowl win and send him off happy and everything. But I think the fact that he was kind of indecisive, it it looked like one of those press conferences that he had just made up his mind to return that day. Um, And he was talking about, you know, he was, he was weighing his options back at home and yeah, I'm going to be the coach in 2020, but he didn't really seem to fully believe that at the time. And so for him to kind of delay that even to 20, you know, February, I think obviously it set back Michigan state just a little bit, but I still expected there to be some portion of that fan base that, you know, D'Antonio's our guy. There are a lot of guys that, look, I understand what he's done for the program. He still has some gas left in the tank. I expected there to be more of those people. Sure. They just weren't there. In <laughs> that fan pool, they were just not there. Yeah. Maybe they exist. Maybe they're hanging out in Brendan's house. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> my, my other favorite one from the survey. This, this is extraordinary. Okay. What position groups do you have the most confidence in? Wide mm-hmm. receiver was the runaway winner at 27.6%. Mm-hmm. The only problem is that the quarterback position checked in at 0.3%. That is amazing. And then the other one is that 50% of fans picked Rocky Lombardi to start the year yeah, this as is the, the starting quarterback. And 12% picked him to finish the year as the starting quarterback. Yeah. I sent that that one is a to problem, Nick. man. I sent that one to Nick immediately. I was like, so, you see this. So they've got a lot of work to do. I think that's a pretty fair, pretty fair situation. Yeah. Also, because they are. They're a disjointed offense. You know, it's unbalanced. I and, want to see the coaching staff. This should be some social media content for Michigan State. Is I want to see the coaching staff reacting to reading the results of that fan survey. That'd be great. I wish I could have that sort of access. That'd be incredible. But honestly, when you look at that quarterback question, like the guy who won, who will be the the starting quarterback at the end of the season, was is a redshirt freshman who has never thrown a pass. That's how desperate Michigan State fans are for the next quarterback. They don't believe in Rocky. Theo Day's been around for a couple of years and hasn't really made much noise. And then you have this redshirt freshman who's being hyped as the savior of the program. And, and who knows? You know, Peyton Thorne, is, his, his high school tape is really good. He was kind of under-recruited going in. But the fact that a kid that's never thrown a pass has 50% of the vote was just, like, wild to me. Yeah, it's, it's all brand new hope and everything else right now. Yeah. That's, what's the, that's where they're at. And which sometimes that can be a cool place to be, and sometimes that can be a cool place to hide in because uh, reality <laughs> eventually does resurface. They are going to have a lot of issues to fix. Um, 
and recruiting is going to have to take care of that. And that is a process that I think that's going to test some people's patience because, you know, they're going to see a lot of like really cool stuff and maybe some momentum and recruiting momentum that necessarily doesn't do anything for you in the immediate, right? So it's going to be, you know, I think that if you look at it, they're going to have to rebuild. There was a lot of rebuilding that needed to be done with the roster. They just lost, like, they just lost a lot of seniors. We just saw a couple of those guys get picked mm-hmm. uh, this weekend, um, and some others pick up pick up some contracts. So they've got to they've got to restock everything and restart everything. And I think that's what this is. It's not a reload situation. This is a new staff that needs to be able to go in there and sort of rebuild it in their own way. And really tough right now. But I think that you know social media is the best way to probably reach out and keep yourself out there, especially with fans too, because they've got to be able to, I think that's, that that's the low key thing that people forget about is that Mel Tucker doing all this, the Q and A's, the takeout Tuesdays, like Brennan said, the sneakers, mm-hmm. that's all stuff for him to be able to, you know, fans to be able to see him, his personality. Nobody does that as much anymore. We don't see that nearly yeah. enough in college football. We just got done watching the NFL draft where for the first time ever, all these guys were forced to kind of put their guard down a little bit. And it was awesome. Like, it's awesome. We yeah. saw Belichick's dog sitting at his computer, for God's sake. That was like, that was cool, right? So, like, that sort of stuff is, is not a bad thing. I think it's a cool thing. Um, you know, I can it, all this stuff is reminding me of back in 2015 when we would see Harbaugh show up at, like, the Oakland A's, you know, spring training. And people were like, what, what the hell is he doing? I'm like, he's trying to have fun. He's trying to have people, like, you know, it's whatever. It's, right. it's, what, it's your personality. I think that's a cool thing. Yeah. And I do think... I kind of go back and forth on this. There, there is a level of patience with Michigan State fans. You know, in that fan survey, I asked them like, "How many games will Michigan State win in 2020?" Most mm-hmm. people said between four and six. I believe mm-hmm. that was that was a runaway winner. So they're not expecting really bowl eligibility. Maybe I think it was more on the lower end, that four or five range yeah. that most people were expecting. But at the same time, I also asked, "How many years will it take Mel Tucker to win a Big Ten championship at Michigan State, and will he win a Big Ten championship at Michigan State?" 80% of people said he will win one, and I believe the majority of people said he'll win one within three to four years, which, that's optimistic. <laughs> that's very, that's on, very that's much not the a, that's, that's, not a, a, <laughs> that's not a wish, that's a demand, Colton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, is a, that is a requirement on the board yeah. from, those, from those folks. And I mean, I, I said this in the comments section of that story, like, you look at what Ohio State's doing right now, they're, they're bringing in one of the best recruiting classes of the modern era. Um, yeah, they have like again. 14 four stars already and it's like not even May yet. So what they're doing is unreal and those guys are going to be in their prime in three years. So <laughs> it might be a little bit longer than that, guys. I'm yeah. just trying to trying to throw that out there. But at least they're optimistic and you can't say that was the case beforehand. Going right, to yeah. need a lot of sledgehammers. <laughs> a <lot>. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a couple of, couple of five-star sledgehammers might, uh, might help things. <laughs> Uh, well, Colton, we appreciate it, man. Um, how are you doing over there? You've been you've been keeping up on the Bulls. I know you're 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 native Chicago in here, so you're uh, you're all good on that. Yeah, I feel like I'm annoying a lot of people on Twitter, but it's just so, <laughs> it's just so much fun. I love it. <laughs> but wait a second, how old were you during this run? I mean, I was born December of '94. If that if that paints the picture, <laughs> you but, were born you were born when Jordan was a baseball player. I was, <laughs> but but. My dad had season tickets. You know, he grew up okay. playing basketball That's with Isaiah cool. Thomas. I, I heard all these stories. I told Graham this on, on Twitter, Graham Koch, that I heard all these stories, you know, before I could walk, basically. So this is not like a ton of new information for me. I'm interested, like everyone else, in seeing, you know, more of the details from that last season. They've kind of been uh, hesitant to show that for some reason, maybe just trying to build it up for whatever reason. But um, I, Graham's trying to <laughs> Graham's trying to uh, say I, I I haven't seen any of these games, but I have the ultimate Jordan DVD. I've I've watched everything. I know my stuff. Oh, you'll be happy to know. First of all, I find that the pe- the way people are reacting in Detroit right now, 
As someone who's <laughs> as someone who's from the city with the biggest inferiority complex in the country in Philadelphia, yeah, watching the Detroit two, fans react to this <laughs> documentary is it's its own documentary. Really, yeah. it's it's incredible. I'm going on Graham's podcast or uh, his radio show, whatever the hell he has mm. tomorrow to tell everyone to calm, including him. Yeah. They're acting like the they acting. They're acting like they didn't get their own thirty for thirty and a, like a Rodman thing. Like, relax, guys. This, you had your moment. This <laughs> this has brought back up the sentiment that was held by most adults. I will will say that adults that were uh, sports fans back in the early nineties, late eighties. That was that the NBA was doing all it could to eliminate the Pistons and <laughs> anoint Michael Jordan. And it was like, guys, um, I mean. Logic would say that the NBA benefited from having Michael Jordan be the champion, but logic would also say that uh, everybody else before him was just sort of holding holding the rope, waiting for him to get ready, and he was going to do that no matter what. But, yeah, it's uh, always entertaining. I watched those episodes earlier, those bad boys ones, and I was like, oh, this isn't going to go over well. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be a problem. Yeah. Uh, and it was. Some people were a little more, I think, understanding of it, but, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a sore subject for I mean, a lot of folks here. I mean, I understand they they Pistons fans don't want to be a footnote in, in Michael Jordan's yes. legacy because those teams were yeah. so great and they probably don't get the credit they deserve. But at the same time, you've had your moment. Let the Bulls shine for a little bit. That's all I say. Well, the Bulls had many moments in yeah. the nineties, Colton. And they so should they they shine. And they should have <laughs> and they should have some it's more. A, it's a documentary about yeah. the Bulls. Thank right. you. This is not an equal opportunity, like <laughs> Okay, well, we're yeah. going to talk about the Pistons. So now here's going to be an entire Hang on. Yeah, we're going to play backstory on the Pistons. It does not work that way, right? right. Uh, and so, Colton, you have your, your neon golf shirt now. I do. Will, oh, right. will that be seen? Oh, there we go. Will, will, <laughs> I love this thing. This is, you know what? It, yeah. it, it really throws off the stock photo guy vibe. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can picture someone wearing that shirt in like a dentist office picture like posing next to like the front desk or something uh, will that shirt be seeing a golf course sometime soon courses are open Ooh, uh i'm not much of a golfer uh if we have if, that, if, if, if i know if we have a company meeting at a at a top golf or something i'll definitely break it out that'd be cool colton will I'm you definitely- be wearing that will you be wearing that shirt in the woods deer hunting because i think it would work for that too if you're a deer hunter i'm Much, not but yeah. Yeah, right. I don't know about that. It, I will wear it to a game. Whenever I'll find out whenever Michigan State is wearing those neon jerseys, and I will plan it, I will time it up, and I will wear this shirt. That's what I bought it for. Are you going to slap a Spartan Nation logo on it? I just might. I just might. <laughs> is that a? Is that like a five button? Five button polo? That was a lot of buttons on that. Day. Yeah, there were. Let, let me count. Let me see. One, like two, three. There's four. Four. Four button polo. What, right. what size is that thing? Uh, Not a, a, fan a of four button polo. It's a large. Large. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot of lycra, looks yeah. like. <laughs> Very neon. Very neon. Very neon, yeah. All right. Well, All right. we appreciate it, man. This All was right. great. And we will stay in touch, and I'm sure we'll get you back on here soon. Thank Definitely. you, Colton. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right, everybody. On the other side of the break here, we'll come back, and uh, we will have some mailbag questions that were left over from last week. Okay. Thanks so much to Colton Pouncey for joining us there in the early portion. Always good to talk to Colton, and we'll have Colton on periodically. Uh, for some Michigan State stuff uh, in the off season, and when the season gets rolling as well, so I like uh, that he just has have... a very different disposition mm. than the than the two. He just seems he's yeah, a much well, more likable person. 
for one. If I have any uh, questions about uh, current day pop culture or any like how, how to be younger in, in 2020, uh, I ask Colton is a pretty good resource for that. Yes. But you know, it's always good to talk to Colton. It's cool to talk to him because like his perspective on things, you know, as a younger person, especially with social media and recruiting, um, Colton's younger. So he's closer in age to some of the younger, to no the doubt. younger kids. So he has a better understanding of what stuff works in that, in that set setting or whatever you want to call it. And what stuff is just like forced garbage. Mm-hmm. And like he's thought the entire time a lot of Mel Tucker stuff. And I, I agreed with him. And I, I, but I, you know, we're old as hell. So we don't right. know. Right. But Colton does. So it's always good to uh, talk to him. But we do have some mailbag questions um, hanging out here yes, uh, from last week that we didn't get to. Uh, I've got a bunch written down. I'm going to start with the one that uh, might have been the tougher one hmm. uh, that we were talking about just before we started from uh, Ryan. So Ryan says, let's play the what-if game. Uh, who's the one recruit Beeline missed out on uh, that could have had a huge positive effect and uh, on the program and taken Michigan to an even higher level uh, than what Beeline maybe even already had them? Um, so a lot of, lot of interesting topics we'll, that could bring up. And we'll do it with uh, Michigan State as well. Yeah, yeah, with both. Yeah. We can do it with both. For Michigan... I will say, and once you and I were talking about it a little bit earlier, I thought about it more and more, and I actually went back uh, to Jalen Brown's recruitment and just yeah. started to really remember just how strange it was. They they weren't involved with him at all. I believe Brown's people reached out to Michigan, not the other way around, and he was like a top five recruit in the country, just this six seven monster, obviously a lottery pick. Um, but the thing that jumps out the most to me about it is, you know, if you remember that post 2013 Final Four, 2014 Elite Eight run, right? They were just trying yeah. to cobble together some kind of restart of that level of talent, not just success, but talent, right? Lottery picks, player of the year candidates, things like that. And, you know, you give them a pass on 15, right? Because the injuries were just brutal. They yeah. went 16 and 16. That team was clearly. I don't know if Jaylen, a guy like Jalen Brown would even make that much of a difference, right? Or, or any other stud that they would have brought in that year. But the 16 team, when Brown would have been a freshman, mm-hmm. was the team that barely made the NCAA tournament, had to go play Tulsa yeah. in Dayton, and then lost to Notre Dame in the first round. And the program was still kind of spit, oh, yeah, spitting wobbling. gas yeah. a little bit, you know, and... It was obvious, as people remember, midway point of the following year was when the drum beat for moving on from Beeline kind of reached its loudest point um, up until everything changed, obviously. But, you know, when you remember Jalen Brown, his family was from Muskegon, like that all kind of led to him being interested in Michigan. And they had this opportunity right there in front of him. And like, if you remember how good he was. Um, and he went to a Cal team where it was him and Ivan Rabb and a bunch of nobodies playing for Conzo Martin, and they were not good at all. You put Jalen Brown, though, on that Michigan team in 16 where there were pieces around him and some older pieces. He would have been out there with guys who I think would have embraced playing with a pro oh, because yeah, because, because they had done so before, right? Mm-hmm. You had yeah. guys who had played with lottery picks. Um, yeah. So you put a Jalen Brown into that team with – Derek, Muhammad Ali, Abdur Rahman, Zach Irvin, Duncan Robinson, right? A young Mo Wagner who was coming along. That would have been that recruiting class. It would have been Jalen yeah. Brown and Mo Wagner. Um, and Aubrey Dawkins was on that team. Like, 
I think you had a, that could have been maybe a second weekend team. And I just feel, oh, yeah, I feel like if if that had happened, right, the blip from the 13-14 up to the 17 Sweet 16 followed by the 18 Final Four, I yeah. think that would have just kind of been truncated or whatever. Um, it would have been more of a blip as opposed to, Blood. oh, shit, did they completely lose momentum, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll yeah, take Jalen like, Yeah, well, I mean, like the, the 14, the 2014 class was the one that was the trickiest um, for a lot of folks to square, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, the Brown is probably the best example of one guy, I think, off the top, because they were a finalist for the guy. I mean, they were like in the last, what, two or three, right? Yeah. Um, but the 14, the 2014 recruiting cycle, so the year after they made the first Final Four, was the one where they started getting all this interest from all kinds of guys that they were not getting interest from previously. And Beeline did not reciprocate uh, all of that interest, mm-hmm. uh, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Um you know, at least heavily. I, I can vividly remember, we were talking before this, and I probably told this story before, uh, one example. Um, I remember Gavon Looney's uh, AAU coach. I talked to him, like, that summer, and he was like, yeah, I'm interested, but I don't know if they are. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're not interested in Gavon Looney? He's like, I don't know. And I'm just like, uh, okay, well, you know, so there was a lot of stuff like that where he was still seemed a little hesitant to go with guy to go after guys he knew would be kind of one-and-dones. Right. Um, and by the time Jalen Brown came around, I think they'd gone through enough. Okay, maybe you have to reevaluate this and start to go after some of these guys. Because you look at the 14 group, right? Like, it was still a lot of those guys that ended up being really good players were still guys that Beeline identified super early. Kata Beats, Diop mm-hmm. was the guy in that class that uh, Michigan was his first offer uh, when he was a sophomore in high school. Because remember, Beeline didn't offer kids until right. the summer of their sophomore year. So Kata's first offer was Michigan, and everybody thought he was going to Michigan for like two and a half years or whatever it was, or a year and a half. And then he ends up at Ohio state. He was um, a top, that was a top 30 kid. That would have been a huge he was a five star. He was a get. five star kid. at the And end if you the really run. want to go alternate university, if they had gotten Bates Diop, he would have been a senior on what ended up being the 18 Michigan team yeah, uh, yeah, run, that, yeah, that lost to that lost to Villanova in the title game. I believe that's right. And you put Bates D up on that team. Holy shit. You might actually have been able to uh, give Nova a run in that game. <laughs> yeah. And another one that year too, like Vince Edwards. Vince Edwards. Was on, absolutely. Was in that group. I mean, yep. they, they recruited Vince Edwards. They were probably right there with Purdue. I would think right mm-hmm. away at the, I mean, I remember it was super early. They got in on him. Um, James Blackman, the kid that ended up going to Indiana. Right. I Trevon Blewett. Almost. Yeah. Trevon Blewett. And then mm-hmm. Booker. Um, yeah. Is the one for Michigan State as well, probably in that in that same Michigan class State for sure, yeah. Where Michigan and Michigan State recruited Devin Booker, you know, I mean, Beeline didn't offer him until he was, you know, to that point, but they'd recruited him for like four years, and then Cal Perry showed up like on a weekend and got a commitment, right? <laughs> Three days right. and it was over. Right. So I mean, that was that was one that probably stung as well on right. some level. And the 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 craziest part for that what will always be the fourteen recruiting class is that Cam Chapman was the dude. Yeah, and he was a five-star player. He, he was the guy in, some, yeah. in that class, and it just never, it just never happened. And then, yeah. meanwhile, Muhammad Ali Abdur Rahman was basically this late throw-in. Right, we told the story a million times of the high school coach reaching out to Michigan saying, "Recruit this kid," because no high majors are offering him. He ends up with a last-minute commit because yeah. Michigan missed on some guys, and he ends up as whatever a top fifteen and score in program history or whatever the hell it was you know just crazy that, that <laughs> class that class where they had some irons in the fire all over the place and mm-hmm. a lot of guys who had some interest 
ended up with Cam Chapman, who was a top 30 player. And he was the one guy that was like, okay, well, at least they got him. Yep. Ricky Doyle, who yep. didn't work out here. Yep. He transferred. Aubrey Dawkins, who was a late top 400 player. Marr, who was 434, who was <laughs> late as well. Right. Uh, DJ Wilson, who was 123. And then Austin Hatch reclassified to 14. Right. So that class, <laughs> like you look at that and you say, you know, I'm not sure how they made it out of <laughs> that class and were able yeah. to turn it around as quickly as they did. Because that didn't work out, we'll say. I mean, it did for Muhammad. Right. Uh, and DJ, I guess. But, you know, tough. That's a tough one because, you know, you had to grind through that a little bit. That's a good one. All right. Uh, Michigan State. And there's yeah. been a long list of the, you know, top 10 players that, that Izzo kind of had recruited basically since they were like eight years old, <laughs> right? And then at the last minute, it's Duke or Kentucky or Kansas. Um, the list is long, right? And I'm sure all of our listeners know all these guys. But the one, the one that's, I have to say, sticks out the most, I mean, it's got to be Okafor, right? Uh, I would have thought him or um, what, uh, Jabari, Jabari Parker. Parker. Jabari Parker was the other. Jabari Parker was um, – he went to – do what year was that? Was that 13? Sounds or, right. I, I feel like it was 13 because I think Michigan State had a great team that year. They had they signed Gary Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, they Because it was the year that Michigan signed McGarry and ended up having – you know, that terrific season. Um, but Michigan State was loaded that year, too. So they already had Adrian Payne. They had uh, Keith Appling, who was still, like, chugging along as a sophomore and, you know, hadn't gotten hurt yet or whatever. Uh, Gary Harris, Brandon Dawson. They had the core of those really good teams. And then you put Jabari Parker on top of that. And I remember, like, you're looking at a team that's, I mean, you got to be kidding me. So I would say it's either Okafor or him in the last probably 10 years or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I mean, That's I would correct. go with Okafor because it's the ultimate salt in the wound was that Okafor's one-and-done season, they ended up beating the piss out sure. of Michigan State in the national semifinals, yeah. right? With yeah. Michigan State starting Gavin Schilling yeah. as one of its bigs. A sophomore right. Gavin Schilling would have potentially, you would have had Okafor in the front court with Brandon Dawson. Like, holy shit. Yeah. You know, yeah. that would just be uh, fairly outrageous just that, I mean, yeah, that would, that would yeah. have been wild. So, um, to not only lose to the Okafor, and they were also in on Tyus Jones forever, and both of yeah. them, there was, you know, the talk that they were going to ultimately play together, and some a lot of people thought that they might play together at Michigan State. Yeah. Instead, they go to yeah. Duke, and then they go and beat Michigan State in the, in the semis. Now, that Michigan State team, you know, was never, during the regular season, it never appeared like a group that was going to go to the Final Four. Right. But, you know, lightning in a bottle type deal, they they made it there. But, you know, Okafor would have just made such a such a difference. And it would have been this, you know, Izzo finally getting a Chicago kid. Izzo finally yeah. beating Kay. Um, and instead, it was just kind of a highlight in that run of your Josh Jacksons, your Cliff Alexanders, your Jabari Parkers, your Okafors, your Tyus Jones, all these guys, right? Yeah, I, I spoke wrong there earlier. Jabari Parker was a... 13, 14 kid, but it mm. still would have held up. I mean, he still would have been on a team with Harris and Payne and Appling and sophomore Denzel Valentine and pretty good Brandon Dawson. And it's like, well, <laughs> those are teams where it's like one extra guy like that. 
I feel like, like we just said it with Jalen Brown, what he would have done mm-hmm. for one extra, you know, or Kata on that uh, 2018 Michigan team. I feel like Jabari Parker on that team or Okafor like that, like you said, on that on those teams would have been the maybe, right. maybe, maybe not. But, you know, those are ones where, yeah. And he's probably got more, I would think, probably back in the 80s and 90s. And Seth, Chris Webber might be the one on, on Tom Izzo's list. Well, if this he, is... <laughs> <if he's> still, <laughs> depending on how much time you have on the podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> that would need, like... <laughs> A Jordan level documentary uh, time. We did like a ten part episode, right, or a ten part. Two maybe maybe that's our million a dollar uh, idea, man. <laughs> we, we we we've talked about you know we we. Come I think up- Tom Izzo would enjoy it. I don't know if everybody else would, but I enjoy talking about it. <laughs> Very interesting. Very interesting. All right. All right. Next question here. Um, let's see. Here's a good one um, from Zach. Uh, who's your most enjoyable player to watch since covering uh, this beat? It could be football or basketball or both. I mean, basketball. My, it's at for me personally. It's absolutely Cassius Winston. Yeah. Um, just as a bas, you know, just as a basketball fan, why I could watch Cassius Winston play college basketball at the level he did for the last yeah. two years in perpetuity and be, uh, be pretty satisfied. Um, it also helped then. The relationship off the court, our, as the as members of the media, our dealings with Cassius was always at the highest level. You know, I will speak highly of him yeah, oh yeah. For, forevermore. Um, just a, a really just solid young man. And then, but his play, he was just, yeah. The, it's the dude who seems like he's playing at a different speed than everyone yeah, else, else is whether solid. it's slower or faster. That it's just like there's nine guys playing one game and then this guy's playing a different game. Um, Winston would be it for me. On the Michigan side, I'd probably say um, sophomore year Stauskas. Mm, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I would say for hoops, uh, the guy that Cassius reminded me of the most was Trey Burke. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's who it probably would be for me. I remember, so his sophomore year was so dominant and his freshman year was such a lightning rod. Um and it was one of those things where you cover it every day like that, right? And you and you sort of get used to it, and you probably lose perspective on you know how you know what I mean, like where yeah. they where they maybe stand. But I feel like we his sophomore year they were playing a game. I still remember this. They were playing a game like in February or late January. It was like a sleepy whatever. I think they were playing Penn State or something like that. Yeah. And it was at home, and Penn State wasn't very good, and um, and they were sluggish, and and Trey just just said, all right, to hell with this and just took the game over and won it. You know, he's making, you know, he's making these ridiculous shots, shots that we'd seen, you know, a hundred times and, and some of these drives and takes that he was doing. And at one point, I think I, I was sitting next to, I assume it was Mark Snyder or Rod Beard who was covering the team too. Right. One of them said like, just kind of tossed their hands up and was like, man, these guys are really, they have no idea maybe what they're going to be missing when this guy's not here right. next year. Fans, you know, Beeline knew. And that, when he said that, I was like, like, whoa, you know, you're, thousand percent correct. I mean, this is, you're right. You take this guy off this team and this is a totally different situation. He is playing, you know, at speed nine and everybody else is playing at speed seven right. and, or whatever you want to call it. And uh, that was like that, that whole season. I mean, he had, it was like catches. He had the ball on a string and he did whatever he wanted with it. And um, nobody ever really uh, solved it. And I mean, I, I can't remember a team, you know, other than a couple times maybe where he got in foul trouble, but I don't ever remember a team taking him so out of his game that right. he never had eight minutes of a stretch where he just said, I'm going to do whatever I want. And I'm going to wreck the game. Yeah. And those are the, those are the guys that you're like, you know, that's, you don't forget them. 
I was down in Tennessee at the time, man, and like when when Michigan really got cooking and got on that win streak early, yeah. he he became like he was appointment viewing. Yeah, you had to watch it. Yeah. Had to watch him. Had to yeah, watch. I mean, him. they they played in Brooklyn um, early that year against uh, West Virginia, and uh, Bob Huggins uh, was there, and then they, I mean, they carved West Virginia up. It mm-hmm. was embarrassing. I mean, it was bad. And Huggins gets in there after the after the game and is just like, "What in the hell is this?" <laughs> he's like, "I'm telling you guys." And he's like, and he tried to do the thing where I'm like, "Well, you know, Bob, they're the number three team in the country. I think we all know they're good." And he's like, "I don't think you do." I remember him saying something like that, like, "I don't right. think you do know how good you know number three is." I mean, this is ridiculous. And um, you know, and I think his point was Burks. Um, because, you know, Trey Burke's not the best college basketball player that's ever played. It's not even, you know, right. I mean, he's not the best point guard that's ever played. But his fit with Beeline uh, in the system, and for, for Beeline's system fitting his game, they've never, Beeline never had a guy ever that fit better for what he wanted to do. And they did not always mesh personality-wise, but in terms of basketball, they, like, I always look at Trey Burke as right. Beeline's, right. you know, perfect point guard. And vice versa, it was a perfect fit. It was the greatest example I could think of of a perfect fit. So, out, so taking Denard out of the conversation. Oh, on football, who would you take? Uh, taking Denard because Denard's number one. Right. Um, it's probably Peppers. Um, I would, I would, yeah, it's probably Peppers. We do have another Peppers. Somebody, not to spoil the question, but it's a good one. Mm-hmm. Someone, someone wrote the question in of what's a hill you you're willing to die on, a Michigan football or whatever hill you're willing to die on. And our, you know, and his, he said his was that he thought Pepper should be a running back. Yeah, and I, that's a great one because he was so electric in the college arena, you know, and, and he's a he's a good NFL player. You know, I, I don't think Jabril Peppers is you know necessarily going to be a twenty time Pro Bowl or something, but he's a good NFL player, played for a long time. But he was so electric and he was so unlike anything else they had um, in 2015, especially Harbaugh's first year, that by the end of the season, when they're playing Ohio State, and they were at a real talent deficit, you know, that season, Peppers is, I mean, he was all they had. I mean, he's, he's <laughs> taking direct snaps, he's getting handoffs, he's running routes, and he's playing every snap on defense and returning every punt. And, you know, there were things that he was able to do when the ball was in his hands that nobody else could recreate on that team, and... It does make you wonder, you know, maybe, maybe there, maybe there should have been more there. Maybe a guy right. like that, if somebody had gotten to him earlier in his career, and you know, he's going to have a longer career probably because he played on defense. Um, but it might have been more fun to watch if he played on offense for sure, and he'd be one that uh, just for everything he could do. You know, it, did he did he deliver a title? No, but I think Jabril Peppers was as advertised for the most part. Right. Um, those last two years, no doubt. That he played. All right, Bernard, you- though is probably number one. Yeah. You want you want to dive into that question though here, the uh, yeah yeah uh, let, me, let me get the let me get the the name Robert so that's one from Robert who sent that one right after we wrapped up last week so I mm. I, I, I wrote it down he, so so it's what's your what's your hill to die on regarding Michigan sports or you know you can say Michigan State his is Peppers thought it should have been running back if you had to pick one that didn't happen that you thought should have happened uh, and you're never going to be convinced otherwise what would what would it be. Well, the thing that the thing that's convi- the the thing that I'm convinced that of that I don't know how many people even remember or talk about is yeah. the biggest game in Michigan basketball of the last 25 years was a loss. Mm-hmm. It was March 3rd, 2007. Mm-hmm. Number one Ohio State comes in to Chrysler. Yep. 
Tommy Amaker is in year fighting for his life. Is in yep. year six, fighting for his life. They're like yep. twenty and something, twenty and twelve. They are, they are in the bubble, right on it, <laughs> yeah. right on that shit. Bill Martin, who has basically yeah. just wants to hire John Beeline already, even though the season is still going on, is in a rock and a hard place because yep. it is four minutes left in the game. Michigan is up five, and if they win this game, yeah, it's the first win over number one in forever. They're going to go to the NCAA tournament. Who knows if you win a game or two there. You can't fire Amaker. You can't have a guy go five years without making an NCAA tournament, then make an NCAA tournament, and then fire him. He still had two years left on his deal, $900,000 buyout. Yep. It would have been a disaster if they won that game. And instead, Ohio State rips off a 10-0 run. Um, Water levels. Courtney Sims misses a dunk. Deion Harris misses the front end of a one-and-one. And they lose. They lose 65-61. End up dropping a game in the Big Ten tournament. They go to the NIT. They get... Amaker gets fired. Beeline becomes the head coach. Beeline ends up transforming the entire program. Like you can go on what ifs about Beeline and yeah. stuff like all day. You can, yeah. Um, yeah. And we'll, we're we're going to get into some what if stuff I think here in a little bit. But um, yeah, that that to me, if they win that game, you can't convince me any game in Michigan in the last twenty five years is bigger than that single game. On that side, I got two. I got one Michigan, one Michigan State football. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Michigan State one's probably a little more obvious because I think most people probably remember this. Um, 2013, uh, so 2012, Michigan State was what six and six. Mm-hmm. Um, they went back and forth with, you know, they didn't know what to do with that quarterback after Kirk Cousins graduated. So it was Andrew Maxwell who struggled for most of the year, and Connor Cook was the backup. And um, they went with Cook in the bowl game, but I think it was one of those like, all right, we're just going to try this and see what happens, and you know, if it works, it works. So they go into the start of the next season. And they start, and they're and they're loaded. I mean, they are loaded in thirteen. Uh, and they go to Notre Dame in week four, and Connor Cook hadn't quite figured everything out yet. I don't think. Um, and Michigan State just couldn't. It was the worst game they played probably the whole season. They lose seventeen thirteen. If they could scrape through that game, you know that team went thirteen and one, and by the end of the year, uh, they were. And that was the first year of the playoff, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, or maybe no, it wasn't either. Was it? It was like we were still off yet, maybe on the playoff. But it, they went thirteen and one uh, by the end of the year. If you're looking at who's playing in the national title game, and you're looking at who and how Michigan State was playing, um, that Notre Dame loss might have cost Mark Antonio uh, a ring. The big wow. One. wow, you know, I mean that that's. I don't think that that is uh, too much of a stretch to um, to go with because they were. I mean, that defense they had was, you know, if I think of college football defenses that we've had here in this state in the last, you know, however many years, 30 years, the Michigan's national title defense, the 97 was probably number one. And I don't know of many that would be able to top that Michigan State 13 group. They were amazing. Mm-hmm. So that's one where a loss, you know. And then the other one for Michigan, right around that same time, I actually it was the year before, it was 2012, um, they went to Nebraska. Uh, in the middle of the season, it was the last year, I think, of the legends and leaders, uh, the old divisions. I think they realigned them the next season. I think. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, people correct me. All right. Uh, so they go to Nebraska with a chance to beat Nebraska 
It's a divisional game. You win that game, you are probably going to Indianapolis. You're probably going to the Big Ten Championship game. Uh, Denard Robinson gets hurt, <laughs> um, and Brady Hoke puts in Russell Bellamy and leaves Devin Gardner at receiver. And Devin was back at receiver, I think, the next week. And the ex- and the reasoning there at the time was he's not ready, he wasn't in the game plan, whatever. And you're just like, guys, I I got nothing for you here. If you if you didn't have the best possible option at backup quarterback, ready to play quarterback in a divisional game that's probably going to determine you know where this thing's going, right? It's never going to work. That was the night that. I mean, that was year two, okay? That was middle of year two. That was the night that we left there, and I was probably like, this is probably not going to work for Brady Hoke. Because it, you have to be able to to pull that trigger in that moment, right? You have to be able to make those decisions like that in right. that moment and right. understand that sometimes you just got to have to risk it. You're going to have to roll the dice here because there's too much on the line. And that was a thing that for, you know, for all the strengths maybe Brady had, that was absolutely a weakness uh, when, the, when the lights got so bright in those spots, the ability to see all of it um, and then take a chance on something at the right time. I mean, it was just one of those, and Bellamy yeah. was, a, it was a mess, you know? And so that was, that's probably the one, and maybe that's one that a lot of people share, but that's one uh, that stands out. I top. thought you were ready to climb atop that hill one, one big stride at a time to say <laughs> that Rich Rod was only one year away. See, I, I, I didn't cover the end of Rich Rod, uh, but like Rich Rod, I remember him making that, I mean, it didn't take him more than like five minutes once they started the season that next year, like five and oh, I mean, he was on every radio show you could, you could think of. He was on, say he was on the huge show <laughs> in Michigan at one point, I remember giving an interview uh, about how these are all his guys. And if he'd been here, he'd be doing the same thing and probably better and everything oh, else. Oh my God. And I remember hearing all this from him and I'm like, you know what? It probably wouldn't have, man, because if this is what you're doing right now, like, I didn't hear Brady Hope go on the radio. Brady had a radio show, for crying out loud. A national radio show in 2015 when Jim Harbaugh went 10-2 and with his team. That's right. And I didn't hear any of that. I, I mean, I didn't hear I – could, I could be wrong, but I don't remember hearing – I remember Brady saying, well, yeah, I mean, they're good players. I know them all. We recruited them, right? I remember him saying right. I'm happy for them, their success. But I don't remember a lot of the – and Rich – you know, Rich probably got a raw deal in his mind, and he probably did. You know, Dave Brandon was known to <laughs> maybe not be the best person to work for. Right, right. But in any event, I do remember him griping a lot publicly, and I was like, this uh, probably not a great look, but you know, right. whatever. Yeah, for uh, on Michigan State, you know, I mean, the easy one is if they had beaten Middle Tennessee State, that team surely goes to the Final Four. Um, but the one that just... I don't know how many people want to hear this, but the the 2018 team, <laughs> shit. If that, I mean, you'll never convince me that if that year hadn't been different, um, yeah. Just in terms of everything, right? Yeah. From the NASA stuff, the ESPN, just oh, I mean, it oh, was almighty, such. Yeah. Just having like been in the middle of, I mean, it was such a shit show. Yeah. The fact that that team went 28 and three and 16 and two in the league is probably overlooked. As like one of the best right. coaching performances in Tom's lifetime, they just rolled I mean, everybody. That team yeah. was rocking and rolling. Um, the only team they couldn't get through was uh, Michigan. They just rolled everybody else. Yeah, was, lost to Michigan. Lost to Michigan twice. twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know that ridiculous game against Syracuse, where say what you will about Ben Carter, well, and that's Jared my question. Jackson. I was going to say 
No, no, no. Ben. We're going to have to get an answer from you. Uh, are you dying on that hill? What, what's your take on the Ben Carter, Jaron Jackson? I, I, uh, I think no one would have ever heard of the name or cared about the name Ben Carter if Michigan State hadn't gone <laughs> eight for 37 on three. So, like That's impossible. It was an impossibly yeah. bad shooting performance. Cassius Winston, one of the three best shooters in program history, went three for 11. Josh Langford yeah. went one for seven. Matt McQuaid went one for seven. Miles Bridges went three for 12. One of those shots falls. They win the game. No one ever talks about it again. And that team probably goes. So, I mean, you can maybe even take all the other shit out of it, right? If one more three falls against Syracuse, uh, that team, they were were really good. But there was, I think, part of the shooting performance, though, was there, that team was so goddamn tight at the end of that year because oh God, the yeah. questions were just endless. They're in Detroit. They're all their family. Really, that team probably needed to go across the country and get the hell away yeah. from this place and probably I would remember, have had a better chance of playing well in the tournament. I remember seeing them in that Madison Square Garden game that we always talk about, the Michigan-Michigan State game, and the first you know 30 minutes of that game were, was awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like two teams that were both – Feeling, feeling it, you know, they were both in it. They were both ready to go. They were not. And Michigan State, I can vividly remember with about, I don't know, in the last 10 minutes somewhere. I remember them, Michigan, you know, made another answer or something and they, just, and they everything started to dip, right? You right. could see them, you know, the shoulders started to shrug a little bit down and you could see the body language and you could see a bunch of guys looking like frustration was boiling over and I remember thinking then like I don't think this team's going to make it I don't right. think they're going to make it very far but to your point one more shot goes against Syracuse and you get out of Detroit and you have a week to recenter yourself that team might have taken off and won the whole thing I mean it was they had everything you need to do it for sure for sure for sure I mean that's going to be the team that you know people 10 years from now on a podcast will be looking at on a just looking at the roster mm-hmm and it'll be like, uh, how? How did this team not win? Yeah, they just couldn't you know, Or go to the Final it. Four yeah. or win a national title because, yeah. I mean, you're going to – Jaron Jackson will be in his 12th year in the league <laughs> having made $250 million. Miles Bridges yeah. will still be in the league having earned $100 million. Cassius Winston, the best point – you know, one of the, what, three best, four best players be in, pre- in program history. The United States. <laughs> you know, it's just going to be be crazy. Um yeah, that's a tough one to square. They just couldn't figure it out uh, in those super tight. That's the thing about the tournament, critical man. Critical moments, you know? and you yeah. miss threes, and you miss yeah. threes, and you get tighter, and you get tighter. It compounds. You know, they would have played Duke in the Sweet Sixteen. They were better than that Duke team. That was that yeah. like Marvin Bagley, Grayson Allen Duke team. They would they, they could have beaten that team. It's um, it's that you know it's that it's that thought in your mind. I think that teams get in their mind when they know they're better than a team. Mm-hmm. I know we're better than this team, and we are down seven here, and with five, and I don't know why. And I this yeah. is really making me mad now. And that's that that team had that they were they were too tough, you know, like you yeah. said, they would uh, they were probably too young. I guess it was one of the most forgettable answer, yeah. Syracuse teams in recent memory. Yeah, they weren't good at all. Weren't yeah. they went eight and ten <laughs> in the Big East? Yeah, right. They were terrible. <laughs> they shouldn't even. I don't even know if they they probably shouldn't have been in the tournament. I don't probably remember not. how it worked. There was a couple years there. Where they kept getting in, and you're like, why is Syracuse still getting in the tournament? Are like, are we worried that people in Syracuse are going to like not 
like just fall apart if they don't have three weeks of March Madness here because they don't know what else to do with themselves mm-hmm. up in Syracuse when they don't have it. But like they weren't good. It no, well, they were a first it. four team. Yeah, they barely yeah, beat Arizona State and Dayton. They played like five guys. Right, barely beat like Arizona State and Dayton. Barely beat TCU in the first round, and then <sighs> beat Michigan State in Detroit. <laughs> in Detroit. In Detroit. <laughs> It's just crazy. It's one of the all-time, like, what is happening here? Yeah, that's, yeah, I remember watching that game on a plane. Michigan was somewhere because we were coming back from wherever Michigan was at. Yeah. And it was a it was a plane ride, and we watched that game, and I was like, I don't know what's happening here. Yeah, that Syracuse uh, team that yeah. Syracuse team ranked 324th in the country in effective field oh goal God. percentage. They just had no offense at all. No. I remember they played, like, five guys, yeah, and, like, yeah. two of them fouled out. Unreal. And I was like, are they going to have to finish the game with four players, or is this... Uh, here's a lighthearted one for you from uh, from Rick, who says his cousin recently had a debate with him saying uh, that Parks and Rec is better than The Office. And he says, tell me why he is wrong. Do you think, what is your take on the Parks and Rec versus I love you know, also, Parks and Rec. So do I. You know it's coming back. They have a reunion episode. I here. saw that. I did see that. And This uh, week, maybe. I'm excited to see what Andy and everyone else is up to. Um, I'll say this. I think the main characters in The Office were better. Yeah. And made it a better show overall. But the secondary characters... Yeah, Parks and Rec is so good. It, it, it yeah. is the only... Like, that's the case I feel like Parks and Rec has. Is that the second... Like, Jerry and all these, like, characters that just really had their own thing... Yeah. Is what makes it actually a debate. I look at Parks and Rec because it didn't last as long, so maybe it's not as fair. Right. Um, but that's a show that never like it only did the upward trend you know what i mean it never lulled Mm -hmm. and it never dipped it only went up like everybody's character uh developed and got better or got more entertaining or whatever it is like everybody i don't know it was and the way it ended was great um you know i i've had my theories on i mean i like i obviously like the office but like when michael scott leaves the show yeah probably time to end it's a different (laughs) show right right. i mean like (laughs) And I, I mean, I'm the guy also who says when Jim and Pam get married, maybe it's time to end it because mm-hmm. I'm kind of done with that one. Yep. I don't need to hear any more. You know what I mean? So yeah, the late episodes cool. of their their marriage issues get probably, a little tricky. Yeah. <laughs> so that one lasted a little long, yeah. and I can understand that. Um, but I, there's some episodes back on the on the back end that are still funny, but. I don't know of many. I, I, Parks and Rec's first season was a little rough, but once they mm-hmm. hit their stride. I don't know of many episodes of that show that were bad. I can't think of any that I'd be like, eh, I don't want to watch that one. Like they're all they they they're all really good. They knew what to lean into in season yeah. two and beyond, and yeah. and played it up. And like like Andy's character being one of those, he was a completely different character. Oh yeah, he was an season asshole two on in the beginning, right? Yeah, in the beginning right. he was like a dick, and like <laughs> then he became like this lovable idiot and everything else. Right. And, uh, even Amy Poehler's character changed a ton you yeah. know, from the first yeah. season and, and all that. And also, who? Uh, how about Sh- this? Who would you, Ron Swanson, Michael Scott? Oh, who would I rather work no. for? Who's the better character? Or, oh, God. Um, uh, Probably Michael Scott. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. It's tough. Well, I mean, Swanson's it's hard, tough. man. Because the problem with Michael is there's just so much stuff where it's yeah. just uncomfortable. It, it, it never ends. But but that was what he was supposed to be. I, so un, I understand. But yeah. some of it, like, some would just cross that. Oh, yeah. But, but like, Oof. I look at it, I've always looked at him as, uh, and Dwight Schrute, 
But I've always looked at both those guys in, in saying, like, I think they're two of the best because they were supposed to be mm-hmm. super uncomfortable. And they and they did it. Like, Ricky Gervais' character in the British office. I don't know if you've watched all that. But it's impossible to watch it at some point because you're just like, I can't do this. Like, this is... But it's... but it, Because he's so good at it. You know what I mean? So yeah. I've always looked at those guys like that and the job... Like, Steve Carell's Michael Scott thing was is still just like, wow. So are you aware of how into the, into the office the younger... Yeah, oh yeah. Like current grade school kids, like yeah, all my nieces. Probably could have talked to Colt about it for crying out loud. All of my, but I'm talking like young, young. <laughs> like my niece. Oh, like, I know. Yeah. My 12 year old nephew is like huge Office fan, and I'm like, first of all, a lot of the jokes haven't aged tremendously <laughs> no! well. No! Uh, for one, and I know that his father, my brother, is like watching some of these shows with him, and it's just like, oh god, like <laughs> Jesus. Well, some of it, it's like you can't even possibly be understanding what they're saying. Like, I don't even, like, you know, like, you don't even get it. Maybe they do, and maybe that's terrifying. I don't know. But there's nothing that makes me feel like an older piece of crap than uh, when I see, like, a, you know, right. younger person saying they're binge-watching. Have you ever heard of this show called The... I'm like, how old are we here? Like, this is, this is becoming a problem. Uh, but anyway. What else uh, we got? I've got, got a couple more here. Um The draft question uh, from Chris says, which less heralded Michigan football player is going to have a surprisingly productive NFL career? Um, not talking about Caesar Ruiz or anybody projected in the first three rounds. So Chris asked that question before the draft. Um, and of course, Caesar Ruiz was a first round pick. Uche was a second round pick. Um, I'm not going to count Bredesen on there because he was right on the fringe there of the fourth round and he says one through three. So of the later round guys, Michigan had, you believe this, Michigan had five Sixth round draft picks? I can believe it. It seems like they have a million guys every year. So they had 10 guys picked. Austin and I broke it all down yesterday on uh, our RPM show. 10 guys picked. Uh, They had eight of them on day three. So rounds four through seven. I don't know of a better um, way to illustrate Michigan's program, where it's at, the good parts, the struggle parts, and the parts they have to fix. And and part of uh, part of why they are the most, they might be the most uh, impossible program to really truly get mm-hmm. unless you have like, unless you are really sort of tied into it. Because I mean, they have eight day three picks, which means they had eight NFL players on their team technically. But the sixth round is the sixth round, and the first round is the first round, and those are different. You know Precisely. what I mean? You also have two, three, four, and five. So all that aside, you know, I think that's a pretty like, telling situation. Think, put, think about it this way. So, you you know, if you're a Lions fan out there, yeah. think about how you view your sixth round pick. You're not, you're probably not even watching the sixth round because you're like, no. maybe there's a guy on special teams. Maybe there's a practice yeah. squad guy. You know, maybe you find one guy who's actually right. an NFL player. That's a right. lot of Michigan football right now. Yeah. It's a lot. I mean, because it's, it's showing that, it's showing a couple things. They are proving an ability to develop, you know, players because there's on some level, because if you break it down, they had 10 picks two, uh one, five star, two, four stars, uh, five or six, three stars, and then a zero star yeah. were their draft picks. So, I mean, there's some of those guys like Uche was a, in the 700s, and he's a second-round pick. Metellus was in the 700s, whatever. Right. 
and he's a, I mean, the average ranking for their draft pick was 532, I believe. So they are developing some, but the, but then at the same time, you see a five-star, the five-star, Donovan Peoples-Jones, right. falls to the sixth round, and they had another five-star on the roster, and Shea Patterson, that doesn't get drafted, and hasn't even signed a, he hasn't signed a wow. undrafted free agent sheet yet that we've seen. Right. So, you know, that's not nothing either. So it's like, it, it's always, it's so complicated with them, but whatever. Back to the regular question. Yeah, yeah. Which guy down there do I think might have the best, um, the best career? I have a hard time um, betting against um, Metellus. Uh, mm-hmm. And I know a lot of Michigan fans have bad memories of some things like Josh Metellus dropped a pick. An Ohio State game one year that would have been a huge deal. Mm-hmm. Um, the secondary always had problems against Ohio State, and people remember that, and obviously that's true. Um, I don't think Josh Metellus is going to be you know, a multi-year pro bowler or anything else, but I think he's the type of guy, Kalik Hudson would be another one, and even maybe, maybe Jordan Glasgow, that these are special teams type guys who can fill roles on teams um, that are – that if once you're around the NFL more, and I've started to know that, see this the more I've been around it this year, there are roles within NFL teams that are super important that are really hard to get people to want to do, even in the NFL. Sure. And, you know, whether it be a gunner or whatever. And Metellus, Hudson, and Glasgow are guys, and not that some of these other guys wouldn't do the same thing, but those are guys that I would point to in my mind of, okay, which guys are guys that will do whatever they're asked without complaint, without anything, without even looking, blinking, yeah. asking a second question. They will just, I want you to run through that plate glass window a thousand miles an hour. Yes, sir. Here I go. I'm doing it right now. Those mm-hmm. are the three guys that come to my mind and they all got taken late. Um, I think Hudson was with the Redskins, Glasgow with the Colts, Metellus with the Vikings. Wouldn't shock me at all. I wouldn't bet against any of them. And the other one on Michigan State side, I think Kenny Willekes ended up yeah. going to the Vikings in the seventh round, which was very surprising that he lasted as long as he did. But like Chris and I talked, Burke, we, we talked a ton about him when we were, you know, because we went over everybody, you know, during the draft process, you know, for a month and a half there. And, yeah, which was, I mean, it was, it's fun, but it's exhausting. Right? Yeah. So I'm not complaining, but it's just a lot. Uh, and we talked about Willikus every time his name came up. And it was just like, at one point, we we're doing like a mock draft. I'm like, look, this is what's going to happen. Willikus is going to get taken by somebody on day three. He's going to get to a camp. And some tight end or tackle on some team somewhere is going to get cut because Kenny Willekes is going to make that guy's life a complete miserable disaster. And he's going to make the team or he's going to be involved in their system somewhere, somehow, because he's going to find a way. And he's another one of those guys that you just can't really bet against. Um, no, I was I was kind of hoping the Eagles were going to grab him late. I mean, I know he's probably a half step slower than... You know what? What a reasonable yeah, NFL right. linebacker looks like. But I mean, that guy's a son of a bitch. That one video that he put Stop out of him, stopped. just like, yeah. Yeah, right. what was it? Parkour looked like at yeah, one point. Like, I don't uh, know what he was doing. Backflips. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 yeah. The bending. I mean, he's a really bendy guy. That yeah. was always his. He just finds a way, and it's a guy that, you know, if there's not a way for me here, I'm going to make my own way. It's not. It's not the one. I mean, and sometimes you know you look at people like that, and and I think sometimes you look at them for. Like I always, we always see them in sports. They're the guys who just, you can't tell them. You can't tell them that they're not going to do something, even if it's impossible, right? And they just have that, I don't know what it is about them. Sometimes you look at them and you say, maybe that's, maybe, maybe you need to be a little more realistic with how you're operating in your life. Right. But at the same time, it's like, I wouldn't want you to give up that trait that you have that allows you to sort of bulldoze through things. And all four of those guys that we just mentioned there, uh, and there are more, but those are four guys I would think off the top of my head that, 
I don't know if they'll make it, but I, I'm not going to tell you that they won't. Those are those are four that I can't do that with because I think all of them, you know, have proven an ability to push through and, right. you know, keep going. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, how many more we got? Oh, I got another basketball one for you. And then maybe we'll do this for the last one. Tom says, what do you think of Juwan Howard's offense? This is oh, What are some? I ask you. Tom Woods. Oh, okay. No, Tom is <laughs> Uh, Tom Izzo is not on Twitter uh, that we know of. Yes. Anyway. yes. Uh, what, what do you th- what do you think of Juwan Howard's offense? What are some of the positives? What are some of the things that can improve? And then I would add to Tom's question: Have we seen the entirety of it yet, based on you know the roster that he inherited and everything else? Uh, so that I feel like remains to be seen because you have to remember what Juwan inherited, and it was Xavier Simpson, and it yeah. was kind of one of those don't. Don't broke or don't fix what ain't broke. Is that right? Am I yeah, getting that right? Yeah. Um, right? You know, Michigan had a top twenty-five offense the year before. It Xavier Simpson is the guy who's going to be you know one of the most ball dominant point guards in the country. You kind there was very little, for lack of a better term, that they really had to change going into this year. What the way that I've kind of leaned on explaining it is that if you look at what Michigan Michigan's offense was. In terms of the the actions that led to the shots that were attempted, was fairly close to John Beeline. Of course, there were yeah. wrinkles, and it was different, and it was basically like if you talk to a lot of the guys in the program, it's like you would almost eliminate a lot of the extracurricular stuff in an off in in an offensive set, and if you just look at the action, you know the pass pass or cutter or. Um, you know, someone coming off and getting getting an open look, if you just isolated that portion of a play, it would look really similar mm-hmm. to John Bean. The thing that was eliminated and why you didn't have to do the, the, the level of film and other things that happened in the previous regime is that off-the-ball stuff was trimmed or cut or whatever. Um, yeah. Reads. There were not nearly as many reads and things like that. It was basically just a simplified version of what people should have been already familiar with um play that's and that in part is why they played faster is that you don't need a 25 second possession when you're really just trying to generate this one look and if you look at it michigan ranked 150th in the country in tempo this year well it was 317th the year before 324th the year before year. before that, 338th the year before that, yeah. right? So um, it was basically just a, a trimmed down version. Now going forward, like I've said this, I think I've said it on this pod. I know I've said it on the pod with Dylan, but like uh, obviously last year was a massive transformation from Beeline to Juwan Howard. This year, though, I feel like is the actual mm-hmm. full page turn in a new era of Michigan basketball. Because yep. so much was dependent on Xavier Simpson. And that was the carryover from Beeline. Well, that's gone. And now it's, you know, Eli Brooks who plays who's going to play point guard in a very different way than Xavier Simpson. Um, followed by Zeb Jackson, uh, Mark Smith, whatever. Or Mike Smith. Did I just mess that up? I don't know. Whatever. The kid from Columbia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, like it's now, now, okay, let's see what the coaching looks like, right? And what that is, I have no idea. So we'll see because yeah. if you're talking about 
where they're going to generate their offense from. Well, it's going to be playing through Franz Wagner. It's going to be playing through, hypothetically, Isaiah Livers, if he's back, and and going from there. What that looks like, we're going to find out how good of a college coach Juwan Howard is. So, yeah. but, but his stuff out of timeouts, the stuff that's drawn up, is, I think, at a one of the highest levels that you'll mm. find. Um, and the actions that they run that you can basically die, you can lay over what the Miami Heat do. And it's, yeah. it's very similar in a lot of, a lot of ways. So mm-hmm. um, I think he's a high level coach. I think he'll do fine. It's going to be a matter of getting players though, like everyone else. Defensively, he was able to yeah. probably put more of his imprint on it last year, I assume. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, see more of the- and they adapted and they fixed things. You remember early in the year where they kind of refused to help on the post and yeah. obviously that was almost it just got ridiculous to the levels of production <laughs> that other that other opposing bigs were getting and and some of it was just guys making shots and things like that but a lot of it was based on the the defensive looks that were being presented so um yeah i and like i know there's still this theory that like Phil Martelli is actually coaching the team and like i i mean i can't tell you and i can't tell people anymore it's yeah, absurd. Right. It is so far from reality. I, I I just beg you to take my word for it. <laughs> take my word on this. Um, so yeah, that's another another caveat to this. But um, yeah, anything else? Do we? Do you have no, any, like what, we got any what ifs? Uh, do I have any more what ifs? Yeah, no, I no more what ifs. Like, not on the top. Not that I pulled the other. The other points. one that I that popped to mind when we were talking earlier. Um, this is this isn't the hill to die on. This is more the what ifs or misses or whatever you want to call it. But I feel it. Like the one that's most interestingly overlooked. I feel like 1998. Okay. Oh St. John's fires Fran Fraschilla. Their top candidate, the guy they wanted to hire. Was John Beeline, who, God, who there's so many of these. With it's so many, and I mean, <laughs> I've spent obviously a lot of time chronicling yeah. them. This is the one that just that really kind of that I just love. I think it's fascinating. St. John's wanted to hire Beeline after his first year at Richmond. The only oh reason God. he withdrew was because he had just moved his family from Buffalo, yeah, yeah, where yeah. he was coaching yeah. at Kenesha. So they just settled in Richmond. They made the tournament in his first year. St. John's comes calling, gives him money, gives him, you know, a chance to coach in the Big East, a chance to go back oh. to his home state, coaching, yeah, you know, Manhattan. Buffalo guy Manhattan. coaching in yeah. New York. And he turned it down in one of the kind of hardest decisions that he's made in all of these changes that he made in 40 years. But you think about how different the hands of time would have gone. And the most interesting thing in it is that part of the reason. Richmond wanted to hire John was because, uh, or I'm sorry, St. John's wanted to hire John is because they beat South Carolina in the tournament that year, in the first round, in in a 3-14 game. The coach of that South Carolina team was Eddie Fogler. Mm -hmm. Eddie Fogler ended up being the guy that Bill Martin, years later, would tap as his consultant to say, Who's you know, this guy? Yeah. Uh, these are the, this is the list I'm thinking of. I'm really interested most in John Beeline. Fogler says Beeline would be a great hire, and Bill Martin sent Eddie Fogler to the Final Four to convince Beeline to to leave West Virginia with that buyout 
and take the Michigan job. There you go. How about there's, that? There's a story. <laughs> <laughs> How about that one? There's a lot of those. Uh, That's a, a good ton. one. That's probably his best one. Yeah. The Indiana one is the one that I... Indiana's one's fascinating. Yeah. Like what would have happened there. Sure. Uh, that would have been crazy. Uh, I think he might be getting a statue built for himself mm-hmm. if he'd taken the Indiana job. Not that he would have yeah. cared. Or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe he would have cra- cracked under that pressure. Maybe it would have right. worked for him. Right. different level. Yeah. Izzo, too, has, has had a lot of those. The other one that gets the attention with is that, you know, the, the old Bill Martin, Rick Pitino thing, that that was almost a oh, thing. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Bill swears that that, was, that it, it was inflated by Pitino by talking about it at that press conference. But they actually, they met once in Dayton, and it apparently went poorly, to say the least. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that a Bill Martin Rick Pitino meeting went poorly. I can't. I mean, what would have happened there? Yeah. I just. I don't know. Incredible. I, I, maybe it would have worked, guys. I don't know. I don't. I mean, but we saw how things went at Louisville. Yeah. So I mean, I they won. So I guess congratulations on that one. Yep. Isos. Uh, what ifs? How about that? You got any thoughts on these? The, oh. the NBA one. I think. The, I think the Hawks were the first one I remember back. Uh, God. He had just gotten him going. He'd won a title, I think. Like, I think he'd... They were pretty good. They'd been, you know, like it was in the 2000s. There was a... Uh, a there was more than a few. There's, there's so many more, but I think... Yeah, the well, it was the, most the, Hawks, the Hawks, the Bulls. I don't know uh, the Bulls. The Nets went after him once. The Cavs, obviously, was the most... Probably the most famous one, right? And that's the... Cavs is the... Yeah. That's the LeBron deal where Izzo called or texted LeBron... And, like, Tom Izzo is not a man who's used to texting and calling someone and not immediately getting a call back. Well, LeBron yeah. didn't give a shit and just yeah. did not reach back to him. <laughs> and if if he had, you know, that was June of 2010. And yeah. and then Izzo finally just backed out and, and went I'm back to Michigan at, State. I'm looking at a story, AP story written on May 13th, 2000. Uh, which would have been a month and a half after he won his national title. Right. He turned down $15 million from the Hawks. Um, Lenny Wilkins had gotten fired. Tom Izzo's probably 40-ish, yep. 40-something. Uh, just won a national title, and they are bringing back all those dudes, plus uh, Zach Randolph and uh, I think somebody else. I don't know. Whatever they were loaded, mm-hmm. and he turns them down. What uh, what might have things looked like if he had said like, "I'm out of here"? Like that's you know I, at that point. Remember now, he'd been at Michigan State for twenty some years mm-hmm. at least. He'd, when did he get to Michigan State in the early eighties? Something like that. Maybe not twenty years, but it was close to twenty years. I mean, so, if you count his assistant years, yeah. I mean. Wouldn't have been out of the realm of possible, or wouldn't have been out of. No one would have looked at him cross-eyed. I don't think. I don't think anyone would have questioned it. Uh, and boy, things would have been a little different. I would say, to say the least, if if that, if that fifteen million dollars had been accepted. Yeah. In uh, two thousand. Well, didn't D'Antonio almost? Didn't Texas come after D'Antonio after they after that, he got uh, Michigan Texas, State rolling? I think. I think Texas like threatened to. <laughs> if that, may, I think that's probably the best way I can put it. Like, I think Texas his D'Antonio's name was floated. For Texas once, um, when they were red hot, when Michigan State was as good as it ever was with him, mm-hmm. and but I don't know if it ever got 
I don't know if it ever got like serious. Maybe it did. I mean, I don't know if it ever got like so. Michigan State, I think, came up with some money pretty quickly right after that name got floated out. Because I think it was the same, a similar situation. Like Michigan State almost lost. I don't know if they almost lost him, but um, Texas A and M wanted to hire Narduzzi uh, when they, at the end there for a ton of money, and Michigan State had to f- come up with a bunch for him. And D'Antonio's name, I want to say it was probably right around the time Charlie Strong got hired right. at Texas. Um, I think D'Antonio's name was floated by somebody somewhere. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was like, well, I mean, he's taken Michigan State, for crying out loud, to the to the edge here. You know, why couldn't it work somewhere else? So, But I don't know how serious that got. But, um, yeah, that would have been one that would have been interesting, to say the least. Yeah. I don't think that would have worked out too well. I don't think he would have handled Texas, uh, <laughs> the pressure that goes around. Right. Uh, there too well, but right. you never know. The best one with with Izzo though is the is the Tulsa deal when he was a GA. Um, oh, he went there, yeah, for two like, seconds. They two, two, I think it was like six or seven weeks or something like that. Like, yeah. can you imagine Tom Izzo living in <laughs> Tulsa, Oklahoma? I mean, making no money because, like, I mean, he was he was a, always, he was a nobody. I always love those. Like, yeah, what was he probably in his twenties? Something like that. I mean, this is yeah, like I always, 19... I always love those stories. Shit. 86. 1986. 86? He might have been in his 30s. Maybe late 20s. Uh, I always love those stories. Because it's like, <laughs> when the guy go, when the guy goes somewhere for like three weeks, and it's like, get me the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah. and he goes home. Like, I always want to know. Like, and when they retell the stories, you always miss, you always miss out on it. Because like, I want to know what happened at the end of week six or whenever, somewhere along the way, where it was like, get me the fuck out of here. I can't do this. I can't be here for one more minute. I tried, right? Like, I was, you know, I did all this. I, I, I tried. Yeah. Uh, get me out of here, you know? Like, we talked about it with uh, Dockage. Mm-hmm. When uh, he went to, he goes to West Virginia, gets his bag out of the car, walks inside and says, well, all right, and puts his bag back in the car, and turns yeah. around and drives home. I'm just like, I can't even imagine. Right. It's crazy. And I mean, it's some crazy. of it is it boils down to if you have an option to leave. Yeah, yeah. You know, like Dockage could pull that he off did, and yeah. go back. And, and right. Izzo was able to get Judd, I think, to just match the money or whatever the hell he needed <laughs> to get the hell out of there. He got. Get me out of here. And went right, right on back. Um, like, <laughs> when I moved to Chattanooga. Oh, yeah. That's just, yeah. When I was like 30 or something, and I was just, I was on my ass. I had nothing going for me. So um, I get down there, and it was like two weeks in, and I'm looking around. I'm like, I don't, what am I, what is this? Yeah. What am I doing? I'm living in, my apartment building was called the Robert E. Lee. I lived in <laughs> this ridiculous apartment by myself, and uh, oh. I just didn't know what to make of it. And I'm like, I don't know anybody here, right? I'm just going to bars by myself like some lunatic who doesn't know anybody <laughs> and whatever. This is what it is. So, uh, but I didn't have a choice. Like, yeah. if I went back oh, to yeah. Philly, it was still just going to be like, I guess I'll just this, back, yeah. go back behind a bar <laughs> somewhere and start pouring <laughs> yeah, more right. drinks and just wait to die. Uh, yeah. So that was that was it. But if I had a choice or if I had an option to get back home, I would have. But if I had left Chattanooga and, you know, if my whole life yeah. would be different and I wouldn't have gotten a job at the Knoxville New Sentinel, and that wouldn't have led me to Michigan, that wouldn't have led me here. It's just so unbelievable the way some of these things work out. Yeah, because I think everybody has one of those yeah. moments yeah. in their life. A lot of people do. Most people, I should say. I mean, when I went to Kentucky, yeah. when I was in my early 20s, I was. I remember driving down I-65, which is... You know, once you get past, uh, what is it, Indianapolis turns into I-65. Uh-huh, uh-huh. you, you get past Louisville. So, I, you know, I drive past Louisville. And I'm like, all right, this still looks relatively populated. Uh, <laughs> everything should be fine. And where I was living in 
Kentucky was right at the bottom, so it was like, you know, near the border of Tennessee. But the further down you get, you know, the more it's like, uh, and then you keep going, you keep going, you're like, okay, and then, like, finally it's to the exit, you know, and you get off the exit and you're just praying, like, can there at least be, like, a couple of, like, places that look familiar to me, like, restaurants or something that I'm not, like, if this is just, like, a grocery store and a gas station and that's it, I, I, and I'm here and I just drove eight hours... I'm gonna to want to turn around and go home, but I don't know if I can. So, you, so like those are those. Yeah, those you are those did the interview. You did the interview over the phone. No, I think actually that that thought was happening when I went down. Went down. The oh, and you're like, are they gonna offer then, me and make me decide to have to move? Yeah, here? and I'm like, <laughs> and I just remember the first that whole time because you know you go do the interview and whatever, and I probably stayed the night there and then just drove back the next day. Yeah, I feel like that whole night was that was that. Can you actually do this? Can you like live here? Like, is this is this gonna be doable and then i want to say probably the first like 15 months i was there was like can you actually do this <laughs> is this livable can you pull this off so those are always great those are always great stories and you always lose the because even now i think back and you're just like i don't even know if i remember all the ins and outs of it but right um, right good times got anything else that's it all right man fly us out of here yeah well to anyone uh still listening god bless you for one <laughs> And uh, and the other thing is maybe uh, maybe use tonight to be your your attempt to grab some food for some dinner from a local restaurant. Uh, hopefully Nick will do the same and maybe feed that child who. Uh... <laughs> but we uh, we are thinking of all of you. We appreciate all of you, and uh, stay safe out there. And that'll do it for this week. Thanks much. Ah.